Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, November 25th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, Bloomberg begins yet another massive ad campaign, a look at Bloomberg's strategy to win the nomination, how Democrats, aside from Bloomberg, are campaigning in Iowa, the impeachment update, a new strategy around ballot measures emerges in Florida, the Buttigieg campaign joins a union, We have more details about December's DNC debate, and Politico asks you to submit questions for that December DNC debate. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg has begun a second ad campaign related to the 2020 election. As I reported two weeks ago, Bloomberg has already set aside $100 million in spending on anti-Trump ads in a series of key battleground states. But that's not all. Bloomberg has now begun something much bigger, in a campaign that targets TV markets nationwide. Reading a tweet from Advertising Analytics, which tracks political spending, quote, He's done it. Mike Bloomberg has spent the most money of any candidate ever on a single week of political advertising. We're looking at $31 million from November 25th to December 3rd, end quote. Let me just say that one more time. The most money ever spent in a single week on political ads. This means Bloomberg is about to break the previous record held by Barack Obama, who spent almost $25 million in the last week of his 2012 campaign. And Bloomberg is doing it in his first week. Yeah. So what are these new ads about? Well, himself. He is introducing himself. He posted the first ad on Sunday on YouTube, and it's probably airing right now on your TV. So, like with all new major candidates, let's hear what he has to say. The ad is titled, Rebuild America. Listen in. Mike Bloomberg started as a middle-class kid who had to work his way through college, then built a business from a single room to a global entity, creating tens of thousands of good-paying jobs along the way. He could have stopped there. But when New York suffered the terrible tragedy of 9-11, he took charge, becoming a three-term mayor who brought a city back from the ashes and brought back jobs and hope with it creating tens of thousands of affordable housing units so families could have a decent place to live, raising teachers' salaries and kids' graduation rates, and creating a more open and livable city for the millions who call it home. He could have stopped there, but when he witnessed the terrible toll of gun violence, he put his money where his heart is, helping to create a movement to take on the NRA and the politicians they own to protect families across this country and help turn the tide. And he's funded college educations for thousands of deserving low-income and middle-class kids and supported life-saving medical research and stood up to the coal lobby and the outright denial of this administration to protect the only home we have from the growing menace of climate change. But now he sees a different kind of menace coming from Washington. So there's no stopping here because there's an America waiting to be rebuilt where everyone without health insurance is guaranteed to get it and everyone who likes theirs can go ahead and keep it where the wealthy will pay more in taxes and the struggling middle class will get their fair share. And jobs that just allow you to get by will become jobs that let you get ahead. Mike Bloomberg for president, jobs creator, leader, problem solver. It's going to take all three to build back a country.
Okay, I'm going to add one last bit of context to this because you are going to see that ad, or some variant of it, everywhere, starting basically today. Reading from an article by Alex Thompson, Zach Montalero, and Mark Caputo, writing for Politico, quote, Bloomberg could spend more in one day than other presidential candidates spend in an entire campaign's lifespan, said Fernand Amandi, a Democratic consultant pollster who worked for President Obama's campaigns. What makes the Bloomberg campaign budget so amazing is that there is no budget. Everything is attainable. We haven't seen a presidential campaign like the one that Michael Bloomberg could run. End quote. And while we're on the topic of Bloomberg, there are some lingering questions about how exactly he plans to win the Democratic primary, given his extremely late start. So let's spend just a few minutes digging into that. Obviously, the number one item is advertising. Because Bloomberg has upwards of $50 billion in the bank, and he's not getting any younger, he has a strong incentive to run ads rather than do on-the-ground campaigning. And to try to get ahead of the money issue, Bloomberg's campaign has announced that he will not take donations. At all. So like if you go to the website, there is no donation form. And that's a vital change because so far the DNC debates have required candidates to bring in a certain number of donations in order to be on the stage for any debate. So how is Bloomberg going to meet that threshold and get into those debates if he doesn't take any donations? There are two possibilities I can see. One is that the DNC could change the late game requirements and drop the donor threshold relying only on polling. That might be unpopular, but frankly, virtually everybody who's been able to get the polling numbers has also been able to get the donors. So maybe that donor thing didn't quite work as intended anyway. Second is that Bloomberg doesn't need to be in the debates. He could just buy time on network TV and put himself on the air talking about whatever he wants. I have, so far, assumed that candidates need to show up at these DNC debates in part because they are free TV time in front of a huge audience. But Bloomberg doesn't need free TV time. He can have all the paid TV time he wants. That's the whole point of his spending. You have to ask whether those debates matter for a candidate like this. And I would argue, at this stage, they probably don't. And if later he thinks they do matter, he can just flip on the whole donor thing, bring in some donations until he has the number he needs, and then be on that stage, assuming he gets the polling. Okay, so the other big thing about Bloomberg is his super long-shot strategy of ignoring the early voting states of Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. Instead, his campaign says he will focus mainly on Super Tuesday, which is March 3rd of 2020. Super Tuesday is when a huge pile of states, including great big ones like California and Texas, will all vote together on the same day. So if Bloomberg pulls off a great showing on Super Tuesday, that could work for him. But this same strategy of ignoring the early voting states has failed very badly for candidates in the past. Then again, we have never had a candidate with so many resources in any presidential race in history. So, you know, let's see what he does. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. 
just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, moving on to the portion of our show that is not about Mike Bloomberg. Right now, most campaigns are focusing heavily on Iowa, where the the first-in-the-nation caucus will give us an early indicator of who is doing well. At this stage of the Iowa campaign, candidates are on the ground visiting all corners of the state. And several major campaigns are doing tiny events. We're talking dozens of people, not hundreds. Now, because of the way the Iowa caucuses are split up, candidates often visit lots of little local areas and talk to people in each one in order to get a strong showing overall. This is the path that both Biden and Harris are currently following as they try to boost their numbers in Iowa. Reading from an article by Dave Weigel in the Washington Post, quote, Joe Biden, who led in polls of Iowa until this summer, is about to embark on a week-long no-malarkey bus tour around the state. Just weeks after the party's Liberty and Justice dinner, where Democrats spoke in front of tens of thousands of Iowa voters, they are engaged in a much less flashy grind for every single vote. Biden and Harris, who have lost the most altitude since the summer, have returned to the state with outwardly down-to-earth campaigning small venues with plenty of time for in-person interaction, end quote. The story goes on to detail how those two candidates are holding events in bars and coffee shops and similarly tiny venues in an attempt to earn every last vote. Next up, the impeachment news in, surprisingly, about one minute. At the moment, Congress is in recess for the Thanksgiving holiday. However, the Intelligence Committee is currently working on its report. Over the weekend, Committee Chair Adam Schiff would not rule out further public or private testimony, though he also didn't announce any new witnesses. The other key news is that today, a federal judge is expected to rule on this whole issue of whether the White House can prevent its staffers from complying with congressional subpoenas. It is a specific case involving former White House counsel Don McGahn but the outcome might be relevant to other witnesses who have refused to appear for the same reason. As I say these words, that ruling has not come down yet. But either way the ruling goes, it is a very smart bet to assume it will be appealed. Then the question becomes, how long does that appeal process take, and does the House even keep pushing this witness question at all, given that the same witnesses might actually come up in a Senate trial? And next, a strategy emerges in Florida that threatens to stifle the ballot measure process. A quick reminder, ballot measures are items on the ballot typically introduced by regular citizens like you and me, and most states have a process that requires them to gather a bunch of signatures in order to get that question on the ballot. Now, the practical reality is that because you have to gather often hundreds of thousands of signatures, you hire people who are professional signature gatherers who are then paid per signature, and that's really how you get this done. 
In Florida, an investigative report by Skylar Swisher and Eric Chokey for the South Florida Sun Sentinel turned up a downright dastardly tactic. First off, let's explain the numbers. Quote, Getting on Florida's ballot requires 766,200 signatures gathered from across the state. Because of deadlines and the state's rules, groups hire signature gatherers, sometimes paying them as much as $4 per signature. That means campaigns need at least $3 million just to get on the ballot. End quote. But then it gets interesting. Because the legal framework around this stuff is so weak, people often don't know what they're signing when they run into, you know, a clipboard person and sign to put something on the ballot. And they may not care because they're just putting something on the ballot, not voting for it. So here comes the new part. The new strategy has to do with hiring those professional signature gatherers and then locking them in via contracts so they can't also work for other campaigns. Reading again from the Sun Sentinel. Quote, Alex Patton has been taking on a political powerhouse, Florida's utility giants, with an initiative that would grant customers the right to choose their power provider and generate and sell electricity. That's a big threat to the profits of Florida's biggest power companies, which tried to push their own ballot initiative in 2016 to make it harder for Floridians to generate their own power through rooftop solar panels. As Patton worked to build his campaign, he noticed something curious was happening. A competing company was snatching up his signature gatherers and asking them to sign non-compete clauses. They'd make more money circulating the citizen voters petition, and they had to agree not to work on Patton's campaign. Patton suspects big utility companies could be bankrolling the citizen voters campaign as a way to stifle his petition by driving up the cost of gathering signatures. Industry insiders call it a blocking campaign. End quote. So in this case, the citizen voters ballot measure has nothing to do with utilities, but the reporting indicates that it might in fact be funded by people who would benefit from blocking this other ballot measure. So this is the latest wrinkle in the tricky doings of campaign finance. Do check the link in the show notes for a detailed investigative report coming out of Florida. Here's a quick one. Mayor Pete Buttigieg's campaign staffers have joined a union. They joined IBEW Local 2321, and the campaign itself has supported the move. This campaign is not alone in the field in unionizing. According to my list, the following campaigns in this Democratic primary have or had a union. Those of Booker, Castro, Sanders, Swalwell, and Warren. So add Buttigieg to that list. And trivia note, Sanders was first, and his campaign was actually the first presidential campaign in U.S. history to be unionized. Now that we've had six, it sure looks like Sanders set a trend. Next up, we have some more details about December's DNC debate, so you can mark your calendars and otherwise prepare. The debate will be held at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California. It will be on Thursday, December 19th. Although I don't have an official time for the debates airing in the evening, this will be the first West Coast debate, so that may influence the start time in some way. We also don't yet know the moderators or the format, though I expect that info to come in the next week. The other interesting news is that you'll be able to watch this thing in a zillion different ways. It's co-sponsored by PBS NewsHour and Politico, 
And that PBS thing means, yes, it will air and stream on public broadcasting stations nationwide. It will also stream on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. But in case that's not enough, CNN is simulcasting this debate. So I guess if you only have cable and no PBS affiliate, that's an option for you. Beyond that, it will appear on all the CNN and PBS apps, and it will stream on three different websites beyond everything I've just listed. It'll be on CNN.com, Politico.com, and PBS.org. To close out the show today, here is another quick item. I'm often asked how the questions are selected for a given debate. And the simple answer is, generally it is the moderators of the debate, often with the input of the media organizations behind them. And in some cases, these media organizations actually ask for public input. That was the case in October when the New York Times asked folks to submit questions. Well, it's happening again, and this time I actually saw the story, so you still have time to submit questions for the December debate. Politico is asking for public input. There's a link in the show notes, it is the very last one at the bottom, with a form where you can submit your questions, along with some personal info. And the form suggests that if they do use your question, they're going to give you credit by listing your name and hometown. So if you've always wanted to ask a presidential candidate a question, find that last link in the show notes. Well, that's it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, here at Debate HQ, which I guess is what I call my house now, we are gearing up for the Thanksgiving holiday. We're doing that thing of trying to triangulate the least busy time to go to the grocery store and strategize about what food you want versus what food you should eat. And of course, I stare out at the garden and wonder if or when I will bother raking up a giant pile of wet leaves while it is currently extremely cold and rainy. And technically, if I leave it alone, it is, I guess, good habitat for bugs or something. So yeah, I think I'm going to stick with that particular excuse. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.